0: We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at one dollar. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's BetterHelp, help help.com slash gold the peter Schiff show Last night, following tradition, President Trump delivered his first State of the Union address, although a lot of people are saying that it's not technically a true State of the Union address, that we'll have to wait another year for that, that he has been president for too short a period for it to really be a State of the Union, so it's just an address uh, before a joint session of Congress. But whatever you call it, apparently the president's uh, address was very well received, even some of the president's critics are giving him credit, although not all of his critics are being so kind to the president. On the other hand, I was not impressed at all by what Donald Trump said. I mean, if his main goal was just not to offend anybody, not to say something outrageous, and to try to get uh, a positive reaction from the political classes, from the media, from Wall Street, then I guess he gave a great address. But if you were looking for the president to actually indicate that true change is coming, that America actually may be great again, that President Trump may actually be a different type of president than his predecessors, you got no indication that that was going to be the case. In fact, Trump gave me every indication that his administration would be more of the same. You know, Donald Trump wants to make America great again. Well, you can't make America great again by making the government greater. There was no discussion last night about the real cause of America's problems. I mean, Donald Trump certainly pointed out some of the problems. He pointed out our large trade deficits, particularly our merchandise trade deficits. But he neglected to point out that the largest trade deficits yet recorded didn't happen under President Obama. They happened under President Bush. In fact, our trade deficits have been growing over the decades consistently uh, under presidents of both parties. He also mentioned the fact that our national debt doubled under President Obama, but he neglected to point out that it also doubled under President Bush. Yes, we have a huge problem. We have a lot of debt. He also talked about our labor force participation rate how so many Americans are no longer part of the labor force, particularly those Americans of working age. It's not the retirement of the baby boom. It's the early retirement of the baby bust. It's the generation X, Y, and Zers. It's people in their 20s and 30s who are not working. That is a big part of the problem. He referenced the 47 million Americans who are now on food stamps. So he correctly talked about a lot of the problems, but he didn't actually articulate any solutions other than more government. And, you know, there's the only way to fix what government broke is for the free market to do it. There are no government solutions to our problems. It's the government solutions that created the problems. You know, I think the problem that Donald Trump believes he's uh, figured out or, or is correcting is Donald Trump believes America is weak because our leaders have been weak. And that he's going to be a strong leader. And because we're going to have a strong leader, we're going to have a strong economy. It's actually the opposite. The reason the economy has been so weak is because our government has been so strong. Whether you want to say it's because the president was strong or it's just Congress, whatever it is, it's big government. It's strong government that has created a weak economy. And if we want to strengthen the economy, we have to liberate it from the shackles of government. We have to weaken the government to strengthen the economy. If we want a great economy, we can't have a great government. We have to have a much smaller government. But that is not what Donald Trump wants. Donald Trump spent most of his speech talking about ways to make government bigger. And in fact, even before he gave the State of the Union address, there was a budget that was submitted to Congress that did exactly that. That made America bigger, made government bigger. Right. There are no cuts to entitlements which are running on autopilot, which are going to just continue to increase under Trump. He is doing nothing to restrain the growth of entitlement spending. But what he did propose was a big increase, a 50, 60 billion dollar a year, I guess, increase in spending on the military. Now, if Donald Trump really understood the problems of the U.S. economy, he would be proposing cuts to military spending, not increases. Now, he is also talking about offsetting increases in uh, defense spending or military spending, because I don't really think it's defense spending, because I think our defense is not going to be improved by this additional spending. It is just spending on the military. I think it's excess spending that we do not need. But Donald Trump wants to spend the money, but he also wants to pretend that we're paying for it. And so he is also recommending cuts to the State Department, cuts to the Environmental Protection Agency. But even if you eliminated these departments in their entirety, right, we still couldn't pay for the increases in defense spending. And of course, Donald Trump is not recommending that we abolish these agencies, just that we make significant cuts to their budgets. But the net effect is that the increase in defense spending will be greater than the reductions in discretionary spending. And so the deficit is going to grow. Government is going to get bigger. And as long as government is going to get bigger, then nothing that Trump is hoping to achieve will happen. I mean, Donald Trump kept talking about the 250th anniversary of the birth of our nation, which will happen in what, 2026, where it'll be the 250th anniversary. And he wants America to hit that point and be the greatest it's ever been, right? There is no way that that is going to happen unless we can return America to the type of country that made us so great hundred years ago. Limited government, maximum freedom, no income tax, no social security tax, No Obamacare, not about repealing it and replacing it, but getting rid of it. Let's have a free market in healthcare the way we did when America was the greatest nation in the history of the world, when we were the richest nation in the history of the world. So if we're going to restore our greatness, we need to dismantle government. And Donald Trump is not talking about doing that at all. He's talking about spending more money. He wants to spend more money on our vets, right? He wants to spend more money at the border. He's spending more money... On the military. He talked about a trillion dollars in infrastructure spending. Now, some of that spending supposedly is going to come from the private sector, but some of it is going to come from the government. And of course, why is the private sector going to suddenly spend all this money on infrastructure? I mean, if there was some infrastructure project that the private sector could afford that was economically viable, it would have been made. The fact that the private sector is not spending money on infrastructure, it's because there is no infrastructure investment that makes sense. Now, I don't know how Donald Trump is able to change those dynamics, but Donald Trump is touting the investment in infrastructure as a way to grow the economy, as a way to create jobs. It's not. You do not improve the economy by the government getting bigger and spending more money on infrastructure. If it was that simple, every time a country was in trouble, all they'd have to do is build some roads or build some bridges, and all of a sudden, they'd be out of trouble. It's actually the reverse. If a country is in trouble, and then it borrows money to spend more money on in infrastructure, it's in deeper trouble. Look, think about it on a, a personal level. Right? We spend money on infrastructure individually. What if all of a sudden— your, your roof needs to be repaired on your house. And let's say it's going to cost you $30,000 to repair your roof, right? Now, most Americans would not be happy uh, to learn that they have a $30,000 bill to repair their roof, but that's infrastructure spending, right? Why doesn't that stimulate their economy? No, it stifles their economy. Where does the money come from to pay for the infrastructure? Infrastructure spending is a cost the benefit happens later on, right? If you fix your roof, you will get a benefit long term because now, you know, the the rain is not going to come down, you know, and flood your house, right? All your furniture isn't going to get ruined due to the rain because you made the investment in fixing your roof. But the return on infrastructure investment comes in the long run. That is the benefit. The cost comes up front. When you have to fix your roof and you have to spend $30,000 What do you give up in order to fix your roof, right? Americans typically don't have an unlimited amount of money. A lot of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, they don't have this huge pool of savings. And even if they did, it still doesn't mean that there's no uh, repercussions to having to deplete your savings to repair your roof. Because now you have to build them back up again. But to the extent that you spend $30,000 on fixing your roof, There is a sacrifice. You have to give something else up. So maybe you don't take a vacation. Maybe you don't buy that new car. Maybe you don't eat out as often. There are a lot of things that you have to give up to free up the resources to make the necessary infrastructure investment in fixing your roof. So if Donald Trump is correct and our infrastructure is in complete uh, disrepair, if it's really as dilapidated as he claims, and maybe a lot of it is, And if we have to spend a trillion dollars repairing it, that does not help the economy in the short run. Yes. I mean, does it create some jobs for the people who are fixing the infrastructure? Yes. But at the expense of jobs that get destroyed, if I have to fix my roof and it costs me $30,000, yes, I create some work for the roofer. Right. But if I have to stop spending money someplace else, if I'm not buying other things, then I'm taking work away from somebody else. So the jobs that get created in the roofing industry get destroyed someplace else. So there is going to be no net increase in jobs if we have to hire a bunch of people to repair our infrastructure. Because the cost of doing that is going to mean that jobs are going to be lost in some other part of the economy. And, of course, we don't do things to create jobs. The goal of infrastructure isn't the jobs that are needed to produce it. That is part of the cost. Because people are needed to build the infrastructure, those resources cannot be used to satisfy other more immediate desires on the part of humans. That is the cost. That is the burden. What we want from the infrastructure is the actual infrastructure. We don't want the, the, the jobs or the labor. We don't want the fact that we had to use up resources. We want the finished product which isn't going to happen for a long time. And the total returns on the finished product happen over decades, right? It's a short-term investment in a long-term benefit. So the idea that this is going to stimulate the economy is utter nonsense. But of course, this isn't the only nonsense that uh, the president was talking about. When the president was talking about our trade deficits, right, he seemed to imply that the reason we had our trade deficits was because of NAFTA, right? And the reason we had our trade deficits was because China entered the World Trade Organization. And if we can just get rid of NAFTA and just, you know, have some tariffs or do something with China, that somehow our trade deficits are going to go away. No, the trade deficits didn't result from from NAFTA. They didn't result uh, from the World Trade Organization. They resulted from big government. They resulted from taxation and regulation they, d- they resulted from artificially low interest rates. They resulted from Fed policy. They resulted from government policy. That doesn't look like it's going to change. Yes, Donald Trump talked about some deregulation, but how much deregulation we actually get remains to be seen. But even if the Trump administration managed to repeal every piece of legislation that was imposed under Obama, which is not going to happen, but even if they did, we would still be left with all the regulations we had under Bush, and we had our biggest trade deficits ever under Bush. So we still had a lot of regulation before Obama, and even if we get rid of all of it, we're still going to be overregulated. But I doubt that we will. We, we can't even get rid of Obamacare. In fact, President Trump, again, talked about repealing and replacing Obamacare, yet he promised to, to preserve A lot of what Obamacare created. Insurance companies can't discriminate based on pre-existing conditions, just for one thing. There are all sorts of promises that he made. The people who are getting their health care from government will continue to get it somehow, even though we repeal Obamacare. So he wants to repeal Obamacare, but preserve everything that Obamacare created, except somehow do it at a lower price. How? Because somehow he thinks that he could write a health care bill that's better than the one that Obama did because he's smarter or he's a better leader. The reality is, we don't need to replace Obamacare with anything. What we need to do is repeal Obamacare and then repeal a lot of the other laws that screwed up healthcare. I mean, one of the things that people are talking about is how it's unfortunate that people get their health insurance from their employer. And so the government wants to fix that. Some Republicans are, are, are talking about fixing that. And I think even President Trump uh, made mention of that by allowing the individual to take a tax credit when he buys his his health insurance directly, as opposed to only enabling the tax credit when you get it through your employer. But whose fault is that? The reason that so many people Get their insurance from their employer is because of the tax code. The government created that problem. It's not that the government is solving the problem. The government is just undoing what it did to cause the problem. They have to de-link employment uh, from health care because it was the government that created the link in the first place. So this is not a new government program that will that will change this it's just a destruction of an old one we just have to get rid of the regulations that created the distortion in the first place but it's government that is at the heart of these problems so if we really want to make america great again we've got to start dismantling government that's what we need to do but that's not what trump is talking about doing now he is talking about cutting taxes but cutting taxes without cover- cutting government is what we've been doing all along and that is just a fraud it is a sham The president promised massive tax relief for the middle class. Well, how are we going to deliver massive tax relief to the middle class without massive cuts in government spending? Trump's not cutting anything. I mean, if he's making small cuts, they're more than offset by increases in other areas. In fact, one thing that he didn't mention last night was NASA. I've been reading stuff where the president wants to go back to the moon. I mean, he might even want to take us to Mars. I mean... This shows you we are broke. We have no money to send people to the moon. I mean, we shouldn't have sent them to the moon in the first place. I mean, we borrowed a lot of money. We had a lot of deficits under President Kennedy and then President Johnson. The whole time we had the space program, we were running deficits. We were borrowing that money to go to the moon. But now, because we borrowed so much money, we're now broke. The last thing that we would want to do is send people to the moon. You know, if, if, there's, if there's value in going to the moon, let the private sector do it, Right. But but the fact that Trump is even talking about this shows that he doesn't get the the true state of the economy, that we need to shrink government, not grow government. And we're not going to improve the economy by spending money, sending people to the moon. But getting back to the tax cuts, and of course, the president will say that, oh, Americans need tax relief. Americans, middle-income Americans deserve tax relief. They're overtaxed. The reality is they're undertaxed. Right. Given the amount of government that we have, Americans are under tax because we have large deficits. The government doesn't collect enough in taxes to cover what it spends. So unless you're going to be talking about massive cuts to government spending, you have to talk about tax increases. If we want all this government, we have to pay for it. Now, of course, we're paying for it. We're paying for it with debt. We're paying for it with inflation we're paying for it with a diminished standard of living. And of course, we ain't seen nothing yet when it comes to how much further our standard of living is going to be diminished uh, once, you know, the dollar collapses, which it's not doing yet, and once the trade deficits actually disappear. I mean, one of the things that Donald Trump doesn't understand when he talks about these trade deficits is that in the short run, the trade deficits confer a net benefit to America. Now, you know, there is a huge long-term cost associated with that current benefit, but it is a benefit because we get to consume all these goods that we didn't have to produce. Right? So we got, we got the, 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 the good part without the bad part. It's like, you know, it's like getting a paycheck without having to show up at work, right? You didn't have to do any of the work, but you got all the reward. We're getting the reward of the work that's done overseas. And, for their efforts, our trading partners, they're the ones that are losing, right, in the short run because they're losing all these goods that they could have consumed themselves. Instead, they're sending them to America. We enjoy those goods and they don't get anything. They have to work without getting paid. They show up at their job and, they don't, and their employer doesn't pay them. They do all the work and they don't get paid. So in the short run, we benefit. And any efforts to reduce the trade deficit, which need to happen, right, in the short run, it will be painful. In the short run, it's going to mean a decline in our standard of living. But that doesn't mean that these trade deficits are good just because we get a short-term benefit. Look, you you can get a short-term benefit from taking drugs. That doesn't mean that you should take them because there's a long-term consequence uh, to doing it. Maybe you're going to cut your life short. Maybe you're going to develop other problems in the long run if you take the shortcut of, you know, hyping yourself up on drugs right now. But, you know, I read this article in, in Forbes. And again, in most cases, you know, Forbes is one of the better, uh, you know, publications out there when it comes to economics, except they don't get this on trade. Now, the guy that wrote the article made the same points that I'm making, that the trade deficit is a net win for us because we get stuff that we don't have to produce. But he didn't understand the long term consequences of it, which are going to be painful. And, and he used the analogy uh, of an individual working. And he, and he was correct. He said the goal of trade is to import as much and export as little, right? You want to you import as much as you can while exporting as little as you can. That, that's what everybody wants to do. That is the goal. That is the only reason that you export. You export to pay for your imports. And if you can pay for your imports by exporting less, that's great. And he made the same analogy to somebody that has a job. What do we want? If you have a job, your goal is to work as little as you can but be paid as much as you can, right? You want to you want to work as few hours as you can work but earn as much money per hour as you can, right? That is your goal, right? And, and and so if you can work less and earn more, that's great. But here is where the analogy stopped, but where it should have continued. What happens if you really do this? What happens if you're barely working and you're you're getting you're collecting a lot of money? You're being overpaid. Now, what happens when your boss figures out that you've been slacking on the job, right? That he's overpaying you, that you're really not doing a lot of work and you're getting all this, uh, all, this, uh, che- all this paycheck. You get fired, right? You're fired when the boss figures out that it's a bad deal for him, that he's overpaying you, that you're not working that hard and he's paying you a lot of money and he decides to fire you. Now, what do you do? Right now, you're in trouble. Well, the same thing is going to happen to America when the world fires us. The world, our trading partners, are not going to stay in this parasitic relationship indefinitely. They're not going to keep on losing. They're going to want to win for a change. Their consumers are going to want a piece of what we have. They're going to want to consume all the products that they're shipping to America. They're not going to do it in exchange for paper. Now, why have they done it in the short run? Why are foreigners willing to sacrifice in the short run and go without things so that Americans can live beyond their means. It's because they're doing it for the future. They are accumulating our IOUs. They are making investments. They are delaying their current um, needs. They're delaying gratification to the future because whenever foreigners sell us something, they accumulate an asset, whether it's a bond, whether it's a stock, whether it's some real estate. So while we're having a party, right, consuming all this stuff that we didn't make, Our creditors are building up their net worth. They're building up their assets that they hope one day to now live off the income, live off the dividends, right? Eventually, foreigners who have been under consuming and working so hard can just kick back and retire and live off all their investment income on their U.S. stocks, bonds, and real estate. Well, the joke's going to be on them because we can't pay. We have no ability to service this debt. We depend on them constantly reloaning us everything they earn from us. So whatever they earn, they have to recycle it back. The minute they try to live on their investment income, the whole party collapses, the dollar crashes, and now they found out that they've been they've been working for nothing, right? They've been sacrificing for no reason. Now they might even figure this out before then. And in fact, to the extent that we poke the stake, to the extent that we do some kind of tariffs or some kind of punitive action, maybe maybe we will actually cause them to come to their senses sooner rather than later to realize that they're the ones that are the losers in this relationship that America has been gaining at their expense. So there is widespread misunderstanding when it comes to this issue. And I pointed out in podcasts before, this, the border-adjusted tax, everybody just assumes that if we have a border-adjusted tax, We're not going to feel it because the dollar is going to rise by 25 percent magically just so nothing costs us more money, which is completely ridiculous. The whole premise of the border adjusted tax and the reason it's supposed to make the dollar go up is because our imports are supposed to go up and our exports are supposed to go down because our imports are supposed to be more expensive and our exports are supposed to be cheaper. But if the dollar goes up by 25 percent, then none of that happens. Our exports don't become any cheaper. They stay the same. And our imports don't become any more expensive. They stay the same. I mean, so it doesn't even make any sense. Yet somehow the U.S. government gets a $100, $200 billion a year windfall in extra taxes that somehow no American had to pay for. That somehow all the cost of our taxes was passed on to other countries. Well, I mean, if you could do this, every country would do it. And if you could make your currency go up by 25 percent by having a 20 percent border tax, then why not have a 40 percent tax and have it go up by 50 percent? I mean, this is, shows you how little every economist in the country actually knows that they can come to this asinine conclusion with respect to what the effect would be of a border adjusted tax on the value of the dollar. You know, the fact that so many people are praising President Trump's speech, that is part of the problem. I would like to see a lot more criticism of his speech because I would like to see him say things that are controversial. And what would be controversial would be acknowledging the true source of our problems created by both Democrats and Republicans, which is massive government and the fact that we have to have substantial cuts in government spending. We can't increase spending on the military. We need to cut spending on the military. We need to cut spending everywhere. We can't just make small reductions or even some significant reductions in some departments. We have to abolish departments completely We have to radically shrink the size of government because the country is broke. And if you're going to talk about the $20 trillion in debt as if it's a problem, you can't uh, propose budgets that will make that problem worse. We have to tackle the debt. We have to tackle it now. And we can't do that if we take Social Security and Medicare off the table. None of this can happen. In fact, Donald Trump began his speech, one of the first things he mentioned, was the stock market and how much the stock market has gone up uh, since he's president. A record increase. In fact, we had 12 consecutive days of increase. The first decline in the Dow uh, was yesterday. And it tied the record. The last time we had 12 uh, increases in a row was in 1987. And so if it would have gone up again, it would have been the record completely for for all time. But instead, we tied the record. But Donald Trump talked about why this is a good thing. Remember, this is a man who, when he campaigned for president, said that we had a stock market bubble. And not only was it a bubble, it was a big, fat, ugly bubble. Well, if it was a big, fat, ugly bubble then, why isn't it now? Only, what, a month has gone by. I mean, simply changing the president doesn't turn a bubble into a bull market. If it was a bubble then, it's a bubble now. In fact, it's a bigger bubble now. And, People say, well, well, maybe because uh, corporations are going to have lower taxes, but most corporations already pay an effective tax rate that's lower than what the president is talking about lowering it to. But even if you take that into consideration, the stock market is still way overvalued. So maybe the bubble should have deflated to a lesser degree to the extent that there would be a lower tax rate, but the bubble got bigger. And the fact that Trump now is a big stock market uh, promoter, big stock market booster, as opposed to a critic, again, shows you how quickly he's switched uh, from talking about things that he thought would be issues that could win him election, and now trying to uh, find ways to validate the success of his presidency. I think the same thing is going to happen with the jobless numbers. You know, when the president was running... He talked about how the unemployment rates weren't real, how there was so much more unemployment. And this might change now that he's president because he might look at this as a scorecard on his presidency. So he might now start talking about the low unemployment number as if somehow it's a validation of his policies, just like he's looking at the rise in the stock market as a validation in his policies. I would much rather see the president continue to call the stock market a bubble, uh, at, at least so that when the bubble deflates, He doesn't now have to try to rationalize why the falling stock market is not a repudiation of his policies if he tried to take credit for the rise in the stock market as the validation of those same policies. Also, I think by not leveling with the American public about the real severity of our problems, the cause of our problems, and what is going to be involved, right, the sacrifices that are going to have to be endured by a large segment of our population that has been living off of government or that has been employed in uneconomic, unviable sectors as a result of misallocations of resources caused by the Federal Reserve, instead of preparing Americans for the short-term pain that we all need to endure, right? We need some collective sacrifice, particularly from government, right? A lot of people who have been working for government are going to have to find real jobs, right? So instead of preparing us for the hard work ahead to make America great, he promised instant results, right? It's like the guy that's selling the weight loss cure and instead of telling you that you got to go to the gym and you got to work out hard and you got to watch your diet, he's just got this miracle cream, just rub it on your thighs and the fat's going to vanish, right? That's what he's promising. Well, he's promising something that it's going to be impossible to deliver on. Right? There's a, a term in, in, in business you want to under-promise and over-deliver. Well, what has President Trump done? The opposite. He has promised the sky, and he can't possibly deliver because nothing that he's talking about actually doing is going to solve the problems that he is accurately describing. He is just going to worsen the problems. We're going to have bigger government we're going to have bigger deficits. We're going to continue on the trend that we've been on for all these years. In fact, the trend is going to accelerate. It is not going to reverse. And so all the people who were talking about how this is a game changer, Trump's a game changer, he is not changing the game at all, right? It's the same game. It's just we have a different president, but playing the same game. You know, President Trump said that when we look back you know, in 2026 on the 250th anniversary of the American Republic, that his election is going to be the dawn of that new chapter in the America history book. Well, this is not a new chapter because the problem is if all the president does is write a new chapter in the same Keynesian book, nothing is going to change. We need to tear up that book. We just can't have a new chapter. We need to destroy This book, we need to destroy all of the concepts that really began with the New Deal, you know, and even before that and some of the the populist movement that preceded the New Deal, but certainly accelerated under FDR. And then we got to repeal a lot of the stuff that happened under Lyndon Johnson and the Great Society era and then under Richard Nixon and under pretty much all the presidents that have preceded him. We need to totally rewrite this book. We need to throw this book, this Keynesian big government, new deal, fair deal, great society book in, in the ash heap of history. We have to rediscover the book that was written by our founding fathers, right? The book of liberty, of individual uh, liberty, of limited government, of sound money. That is the book we need. We need to rewrite that book, in fact, we don't have to rewrite it. We just have to resurrect it. We have to dust it off. We have to bring it out of the basement where it's been stored all of these years, all these decades. We have to dust it off, reread it, re-understand it. That's what needs to be done. But unfortunately, Trump gave me no indication that that's going to happen. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, Peter, you know, why did you support Trump? I supported Trump because he was better than Hillary Clinton. And I still believe that having Donald Trump as the president is better than having Hillary Clinton. But this is a, you know, it's a scale. It's a curve that we're looking at. And my other reason for preferring Donald Trump is when all of this blows up, right? When none of this good stuff happens, when we have the inevitable crisis, and if this crisis comes sooner rather than later, and if it happens while Donald Trump is president, right? Trump has a better chance of eventually doing what's right. He's not doing what's right now because there's nothing forcing him to do what's right. But if his back is to the wall, right, if everything is collapsing, might he listen to people who would say government is the problem and the market is the solution? He might. Hillary Clinton, no chance. She's always going to believe that the solution lies in more government. She never would have been able to admit that government was the source of the problems and that eradicating government was the only viable solution. So I still think having him there is better. But the problem might be that the collapse doesn't happen early enough in his administration for him to be able to do something proactive before the 2020 election. And it happens late enough in his administration that he gets the blame. So if it happens late, that is the risk of a Trump presidency. Because if it happens later in his tenure, then it's blamed on him. And then it paves the way to have somebody even worse than Hillary Clinton, maybe Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or maybe somebody even to, to the left of them to the extent that's even possible in the White House. So there's all this optimism right now that all these problems are going to go away just because we have a strong politician that wants us to believe, that wants us to be confident, that wants us to be hopeful. But there's no actual reason for that, yes, you can have irrational exuberance in hope. You can just believe that based on the sheer power of Donald Trump's will, that even with a huge government and massive deficits and all of the same policies that dug us into this hole, that we're going to magically levitate out of it just on the strength of Donald Trump's ego, it's not going to happen. But is he a better man to have at the job? Would I rather have him at the helm when this titanic of a nation hits the iceberg Hillary Clinton? Absolutely. Would I have preferred Rand Paul? You bet. But Rand Paul didn't get the Republican nomination. Donald Trump did. And so he was the the lesser of of the evils and potentially may be a good president, but not based on this speech. Not yet. Maybe there's hope that things can change. But as of now, based on that speech, it is business as usual. And that means we are still on a collision course for disaster.
1: Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800 727 7922. That's 800 727 7922. Non U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro Pacific Bank at EuropacBank.com. Euro Pacific Capital and Euro Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.
0: Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals.